0: It'd be great if you keep your Bibles open to James there, James 3, and uh, you can follow along with uh, the little surface outline, if that helps. Why don't we pray together as we start and ask God for some energy and focus. Father, we thank you that you speak to us. If only our speech could be like yours. But we pray for energy to listen now with your word that gives life, command our attention, even energize us for action even if we're feeling weary now. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So as you can see, uh, we're in a series on respectable sins and neglected virtues. And today's topic, it's the tongue. It's our speech. I called the intro, Say Ah, if you're following on on the handout, uh, which I think more when you go to the doctor and they check your throat. Um, But I just thought that was a nice visual image for us as we do a bit of uh, tongue examination. So, I wonder where you would begin with an examination of our speech. There are so many angles you could explore, uh, not to mention there's a wealth of scripture to consider for such a small, uh, muscular organ that it is. Uh, they're, they're funny little things, at tongues, aren't they? They're not classified as a vital organ. You might be familiar with that designation, vital organs. Some of the people who work in medicine, I had to Google this. But it makes sense, right? A vital organ, the things that you definitely need to live, like your brain, or your heart, or your lungs. You could technically uh, get by without a tongue. But though the tongue might not be a vital organ for living, uh, might I suggest to you that it's a vital organ for living in community. (laughs) If you've ever had a speech impediment, or lost your voice, or, or you know someone who has, you'll know the frustrations of having a tongue that's just not doing what it ought. Because it's the most powerful uh, form of communication at our disposal. I wonder if you've ever, you've ever heard that expression, I'm um, having a heart-to-heart. I, I don't I use it very often, but I like what it's getting out there. Because if you really want to engage with another human, it demands speech. As the Lord Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, And do you see what Jesus is saying there? When we speak, we we broadcast our inner self. And this broadcasting has an impact on the world around us. Our words matter. I wonder if you think back to some of the most uh, significant moments of your recent memory, some of the high points, some of the low points, some of the moments of elation, frustration, moments of greatest clarity, confusion. I expect that words were either the source of those highs and lows, um, or they played a significant role in you processing those highs and lows. Maybe you can even think of moments where you said something you regretted. (laughs) Maybe you said something this weekend that you regretted. Or maybe you regretted moments where you stayed silent, and you really shouldn't have. Or maybe you can think of the precious times where you were able to say exactly what you needed to, and it really blessed someone. Words matter. Uh, We're taught the power of speech in the first pages of the Bible. Uh, This entire cosmos is formed and filled by God's speaking. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? There's this void here, and God speaks life into it. God's speech builds. But on the very next page of the Bible, we learn that another sort of speech exists. Um, And it's the reading we had earlier from Genesis. It's the sort of speech that destroys. Satan does his work by lying. The the serpent didn't force-feed Eve in the Garden of Eden. Just a few flicks of the tongue were enough to see her choosing to take and eat. You will not die, is what the serpent said. And how did that work out for her? And for us, Satan was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. That's what Jesus says. And deceit and death, they, they go hand in hand. And so you want, you want even two or three pages into your Bible, and you've seen that words are powerful, right? God's speech leads to life, and ungodly speech leads to death. I flip forward a few more pages uh, to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. And this is how it starts. It says, At one time, the whole Earth had the same language and vocabulary. And so humans, at this point in time, they can communicate without any barriers to communication. There's no need for Google Translate, right? And that might seem like a really good thing at first. um, This was actually the hope of... There was a gentleman in the late 19th century who developed this language called Esperanto, if you've heard of it. It's a fun word to say. It's a bit like Mufasa, Esperanto. And um, it was an attempt to develop this universal language to foster international harmony. But he should have read Genesis 11, right? (laughs) Because when sinners have the access to limitless collaboration, it just means limitless sin. Humanity uses this ability to plot a rebellion against a good God. (laughs) Doesn't this sound familiar? And I think God's response in that story is just fascinating. He says, come, let us go down there and Confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So early on, we learned that restraining sin actually means restraining sinful speech. And we're barely 10 pages into our Bibles now. God's speech has the power to build up, ungodly speech has the power to tear down. And because of human sin, our speech needs to be restrained. It's a lot. Um, And as we read on, we see the way forward for God's uh, redeemed people. Here's God's instruction to the Old Testament equivalent of the church um, in Deuteronomy 6. It says, These words that I'm giving to you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Find them as a sign on your hand. Let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Sinful speech is to be restrained, but glorious, godly, faithful speech is to be unleashed in the mouths of God's people. There's no limit to that sort of speech. Speech has the power to build up. (laughs) Speech has the power to tear down. Our speech needs to be restrained because of sin. But if we want life to flow as God's people, godly speech, that is speech that is given shape by God's speech, must flow abundantly. And so, this is our framework now, um, as we think about this talk, this this talk on respectable sins and neglected virtues, and uh, for the next few minutes, the talk will be broken up into a point for each, if that makes sense. And My prayer for the next 15 minutes or so is that we respect the astounding power that this little muscle has, and we choose to wield that power gloriously. So, you'll see the points written on the handout, if you're following along. Point one, you're a human so shut up, Praise, uh, pressing the pause button before we issue speech that destroys. And second point, you're a Christian, so speak up. Pressing the play button on the speech, that builds up. And um, I'll be honest, when I sent those points off and then I saw them come back in the ready-to-print version, I was like, oh man, did I just send that? Can you say shut up in church? <laughs> I, I don't think I've said shut up since I was maybe seven or eight to my, to my little sister. And um, yeah, the, my parents would not have a bar of that. Um, yes, I, hope, I recognize it's offensive. I don't think it's unnecessarily offensive, though. And I think Scripture's going to lead us there. But if you disagree with me, please, you, you can tell me after the sermon. Here, the, apostles, uh, the Apostle Paul's description of our mouths in Romans 3. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues... Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So Paul knows that we might praise God with our lips, and we can say beautiful, truly beautiful things at times, but who here hasn't, hasn't told a lie, who here hasn't um, had a harsh word or grumbled? And so nobody can contend that they're righteous. And As Paul continues in verse 19, he, he goes on to say that every mouth should be shut. And the whole world subjected to God's judgment. So, this, this tongue is proof that we're sinners. We're not like Jesus, uh, the one human without sin. Um, that's why I put a little sinful in brackets on that page there, because uh, it's really our sinful humanity that is the issue. No, we, we hedge our bets between living for heaven and living for the world. We're caught between faithful and faithless living. And if you want the proof of that, just listen to what we say. Uh, That passage that we um, had read earlier often gets taught as, you need to tame your tongue. And in fact, I think the heading in our Bibles might give us some hope that we, we really can, as it reads, controlling the tongue. But James's point is that none of us can, not perfectly anyway. Look with me at verse 7 of chapter 3, if you've got that open. James 3, chapter 7. It says, Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed and has been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. James uses that term man then, not not as a matter of gender, but with reference to our sinful humanity. And here's, here's James's point. Humans, I mean, we're so clever, we've trained horses to trot, like if you watch Dressage or Equestrian, this stuff is crazy. We've taught like seals to balance a ball on their nose. We can wrangle snakes and crocodiles. <laughs> but we can't even wrangle our own tongues. I'm not sure how many of us have ventured to the cinemas in this age of Barbieheimer. Uh, I may have paid a visit to Barbie. <laughs> Was it my idea? Was it my fiancé's idea? Who can say? I I certainly wouldn't have guessed that the Barbie movie would have generated sort of more, like, discussion than a movie about the guy who basically brought about the dawn of the nuclear age. But for those who have reflected on Oppenheimer's life, you know, whether from books or Wikipedia or seeing the film, I think it's natural to wonder, like, man, how how would that have felt? To be responsible for a weapon of... Mass destruction, such terrible power. Well, How would it feel to just be accountable for all those lives, all the pain? I think James would say to us, yeah, actually, you don't have to wonder. Look with me in verse 5. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire, the tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. We, at the best of times, but definitely at our worst, we have a loose grip on our tongues. A harsh word, a thoughtless comment, a lie, a cruel joke, misguided judgment, a foolish opinion, it doesn't take a lot to come up with that stuff, it's always at the ready, right? And I think, I think the most amazing thing is we sort of get surprised when we cause offense, don't we? Like we act innocent and maybe you sort of blame the other person for being too sensitive. All while, while smoke pours from that flamethrower between your chin and your nose. What did James say there in verse 6? He says, Our tongue pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire and is set on fire by hell. Destruction spreads like wildfire when, uh, not if, but when, we lose control. And even a little muscle twitch can cause mass destruction. A word of gossip, a throwaway line, and you can leave someone no longer a Christian. An unchecked tongue is a dangerous thing. So, so why is James, telling this. Uh, We're being challenged on our double-mindedness, aren't we? In verse 9, we praise our Lord and Father with our mouths, and we curse men who are made in God's likeness with it. You sing a song while you're driving in your car, a Christian song, and then someone cuts you off and you insult them. (laughs) I mean, isn't that inconsistent? By showing us the outcome of an uncontrolled tongue that leads to a fiery blaze, that James is discipling us towards single-minded Christian speech. And so we want to guard our lips. This is what Proverbs 13, 3 says. It says, The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Watching your tongue, it's a full-time gig. And there are times when we're going to be more likely to say something that we're going to regret and we'll need to be doubly vigilant, particularly when we're, we're stressed, or we're sick, or we're hungry, or we're angry, or we're lonely, or we're tired. And if I'm any of those things, I just make a mental note. I'm like, Adriel, uh, you're going to have to watch your tongue very, very closely now, because I know that in those moments, it's going to seem like a really good idea to say something bad. The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin. Uh, You might have noticed on the handout that I I call this talk Pyromania and Prophecy. And um, I I really do hope that it ends up being more than just shameless alliteration. But let's see see how it goes. So what what is pyromania? What is pyromania? Here's the definition. A psychological condition marked by an irresistible compulsion to intentionally ignite fires, often accompanied by a sense of satisfaction or relief, without a clear motive. I'm going to be honest, I think I feel that urge uh, when I speak, and may- maybe you do too. I feel the reason I'm pointing here, I feel this tension here, where I'm like, oh, man, that'd be a really fun thing to say. You know, something edgy that you want to say for a reaction, um, something that's really witty but could be a bit mean. Well, I would think it was witty. You want to weigh in on a contentious topic because you've got an opinion or you want to vent when you're angry, just get something off your chest. Am I the only one who feels that? Do you feel that too? I think that's a a moment of decision that we're faced with there, right? Like, it's going to feel really good to say the thing, but I also know it's really risky to say the thing. (laughs) And I think that's just a great moment to keep your mouth shut. The best way to prevent a fire is just don't light the match. It's not worth it. You know, there might be a backspace button uh, before you send that email. There might be an unsend button when you send the text if you're lucky and they haven't seen it and you can recall it. But there's no rewind for foolish talk. You can't get down on your hands and knees and pick up the words again and shove them in your mouth. And you can't put fire back into the matchbox. The damage is done <laughs> to your hearer and to your credibility. There are so many areas of speech um, that we could go deeper into. Um, and I thought we might just go into talking about gossip as a case study, because I think some of the principles there will, will be shared for other principles, if that makes sense, other parts of speech. Um, and I also think it's one of those sins that is somewhat respectable, only because it slips past our security system, I think. It's somewhat hard to detect. Um, and I think Proverbs 18.8 basically says that. Here's what It says, a gossip's words are like choice food that goes down into one's innermost being. <laughs> so that's, that's not saying that gossip is good. That's, that's saying it's delicious. Like, gossip is delicious. It's hard to resist. It's tempting. <laughs> and it goes down into our innermost being. It affects our perception of people basically automatically. It's really hard to catch it. And you digest gossip before you've even weighed it up sometimes. You don't know the difference between fact and fiction when you're hearing it, but it changes your perspective on someone. And so I think we want to be a dead end for gossip when we hear it, if it's an uncharitable word about someone else that you're getting secondhand, or information that really you wouldn't want to be shared with someone else but now you're hearing about someone else. I think get that firewall up (laughs) and be discerning. Don't be another link in that chain. And, And personally, this is, I think, my stance is I want to sort of exert some force back up that chain and just say, like, hey, what are we doing here? A lot of gossip comes from us caring about what's happening in other people's lives without actually caring about that person. <laughs> because if you did care, you wouldn't share that information. I think what we're doing here at church, it sort of relies on us creating an environment where you can share and be vulnerable and um, information not get exploited. And I think that means we have to lovingly, wisely, guard our lips. Proverbs 20.19 says, the one who reveals secrets is a constant gossip. Avoid someone with a big mouth. For some people, gossip is truly like a habit. It's like a sport. And for your sake and others, I think while graciously holding out correction, you might want to be wise about how much influence you give that person in your life. We could say much more, uh, but let's draw things together on this point. Uh, If you plan to destroy the church, you know what to do now. Speak thoughtlessly, you know, gossip, slander about your brothers and sisters, speak harshly and recklessly to those around you. Just wave your mouth around like a rifle with a safety off (laughs) But bear in mind Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 3 says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. But for those who love Christ and his church, for those who want to see it grow and flourish, far be it for us to be its arsonists. Guard your lips, and so guard the church you're a human, so shut up. And more briefly, but just as crucially, you're a Christian, so speak up. And I think this is one of those courtesy, if you're falling asleep, this is a good time to to bring it back, we've only got a few more uh, minutes of content, but I think this is really exciting. This is very exciting, what we're gonna hear. Because I think it would be a huge um, misstep if we were feeling at this point, like, oh man, I should just become a hermit and take a vow of silence. (laughs) Because that couldn't be further from what the Bible says. Because the tongue this tool that we so often use for destruction. It's the very tool that God has given us for construction. I've been looking at um, buying power tools for like a carpentry project, and I'm not sure who here has ever like, shopped for a, a circular saw, but these things are like terrifying. <laughs> and when I see them, I'm, I'm sort of caught between having visions of all the things I want to make and getting excited about it and and having visions of me sort of like accidentally sawing my hand off or something. (laughs) One needs to respect powerful tools. (laughs) And the human tongue, it's something of a power tool from God. It can do a lot quickly. And if you leave that tool running like an unsupervised circular saw, I think you better expect a bad outcome. (laughs) But if you respect that power, and if you apply it, in the right ways, you can build some amazing things. We saw back in Romans 3 how Paul spoke of our mouths, and and it wasn't pretty. But look how the gospel changes things in Romans 6. Paul says, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. So you see what Paul's saying here. A Christian who's raised with Christ, they're dead to sin. They're no longer enslaved to it. And so the ways that we use parts of our body for unrighteousness, we can now use them for righteousness. So the same mouth that could only curse others and dishonor God Actually, we can bless others now and praise God from the heart. That mouth that only knew how to spit venom with its words, it can now provide an antidote, (laughs) can provide healing. That same mouth that was an open grave, something of a death trap to its hearers. Actually, we can offer words that lead to life now. We can even go from starting fires to putting them out. And here's the implication. Now that we're alive, we can truly listen to God. We can speak from the heart godly words that lead to life, fueled by his word and his spirit, words that build up the people of God. And I think that focus on building is, is driving um, Paul when he's writing Ephesians 4:29. This is what it says. I'll wait for it to come up on the screen if it's there. Thank you. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And it's it's interesting that Paul uses that word only, right? Only what is good for building up someone in need. And I think the risk now is that we think, okay, well, this I guess this would apply to that 20% of my life currently where I share the gospel and encourage Christians. And so Paul doesn't want me to say anything else I can't talk about work, or the Barbie movie, or carpentry, you know. But Paul's actually talking about 100% of our speech here, right? So all of our speech, even when we're talking about those things, can be salty and demonstrate our covenant faithfulness to God. It all all can reflect a Christian heart and Christ-like priorities. All of our speech can be godly, wise, and loving, I was just thinking, like, think of the Christians that you've found really encouraging in your life. Maybe an older Christian, someone who you think is really mature. I would imagine that God's word has just saturated their speech and their thinking, right? You could talk about anything with them, and they have the wisdom to talk about it beautifully. And they take initiative to strengthen you and leave you uh, built up. We all want to be surrounded by Christians like that. And so I think we, like they, have to take up our tongues as weapons of righteousness. Every Christian has uh, something of a prophetic role. That's the second P. So I delivered on the, uh, on the outline. We got there in the end. And by prophetic, I don't mean uh, coming up with new scripture or having predictions about the future. What I, what I mean is truly knowing God in Christ, speaking with speech shaped by the word of God and living by it. Breathing life into the world through speech that is shaped by the word of God. I love when um, Paul describes himself as an ambassador to Christ. And I think that ambassador language, it's, it's really useful when we think about our place in the world, right? We're under Christ's authority. And so whether you realize it or not, we represent him to those around us. The things that you and I say and do, that's going to impact Jesus, uh, people's understanding of who Jesus is inside and outside the church. People are gonna know Christ's love partly by how we love them. And we wanna honor him by representing him faithfully. And I wonder how that might change. Think about the conversations you have, maybe a a, a tough conversation at work, um, that tricky family disagreement, that moment where someone sinned against you, or that moment where you've sinned against them. You know, how can you speak clarity and peace and bring about restoration of order from chaos in those moments with this weapon of righteousness that God has given you? It's definitely going to take wisdom and love, which I think are things that we're growing in, and it'll take a servant heart. So I want us to revisit that Ephesians passage, the one that's been up there, where Paul talks about foul language. Because I think, interestingly, this gets to the heart of the principle at hand. Uh, so when you hear that foul language is prohibited, I, I think, this is what I did when I heard it, it probably says more about me, but I think what you would naturally do is mentally sort of compile a list, a blacklist of words, you're like, oh yeah, that's definitely foul. Maybe that's not foul. You know, borderline, I can use that one. <laughs> I mean, we can't really do that, right? Paul didn't speak English. Um, if he gave us a list to would be in maybe Greek and Hebrew and things, it wouldn't be much use. But if hypothetically you did have that list in English, I mean, wouldn't it be foolish to expect that if you simply avoided those words in everyday language, that you'd suddenly be this, like the perfect ambassador to Christ? I think that's thinking the wrong way around, right? So we're not simply minimizing harm as Christians. We're maximizing building up, right, in a way that only a Christian can. And that might mean being even more selective in your words, depending on who you're talking to. So I think we need a shift of perspective from the framework of like, insisting on our own freedoms and rights to say what we want, to the framework of insisting on what's best for our hearers, what's appropriate to their needs to build them up. Here's a passage from 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul talks about the freedom that a Christian has. He writes, everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible. This is what the Corinthians are saying, right? Everything is, I I have freedom to do this. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So if, if, if I want to say something that I technically can, right, but it's going to cause unnecessary offense to that person, if my words have the potential to misrepresent Christ to that person, I don't want to say it. It's a question of love, isn't it? <laughs> it's a question of love. I, I wonder if you spent a day only aiming to build people up. What effect would that have on the people around you? What effect would that have on, on your reputation? On Christ's reputation? On the kingdom of God? And what if you spent a week doing that? Just seeking to build people up. And what if you spent your life doing that? Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Heavenly Father, you've given us this, this powerful tool to use. And we pray that we will be faithful ambassadors of your Son with it. Uh, may destructive speech be restrained in our mouths, but the speech that builds up flow abundantly. We pray this for your glory and for our good. Amen.